Our Bible reading today is found on page 8, and we're going to read from Malachi and Romans. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob... But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard... And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying... All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as as in former years. So I will come to, to put you on trial. 
I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be no, not, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And from Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thanks for uh, reading those passages to us, Paul, this afternoon, and um, for leading us in prayer, Bronte. Um, I'm just going to pray that God may settle our hearts and minds so that we can process and make sense of His Word, so uh, as we reflect upon it, so let me pray now. Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for Your Word to us. And I ask now that your spirit might be at work amongst us and within us, that we may understand it and we may respond to it in uh, faithfulness and obedience and joy. And we pray this through the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, we've made it to our last minor prophet. We've made it. (laughs) There's 12 of them in the Old Testament. And uh, we've been working through each of the minor prophets here at Church Hill. Malachi is the final prophet in the Old Testament. He is the last voice to speak. And I hope you have found our minor prophet series a fruitful journey uh, in your understanding of the Bible, in your understanding of Jesus, and in your understanding of Christian faith. As we read our final prophet, I think a helpful doorway into Malachi's words is an understanding of what's known as cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the distance 
between expectations and reality. It occurs every day in a million different ways. When we expect a holiday to fix all our woes, but then we find that whilst the holiday is nice, we are still the same person at the end of it. Uh, When we expect a new job to change our lives, but the reality is that we continue with our negative habits. Uh, When we expect a new relationship to bring us completeness, but the reality is we lament over the added difficulties that has introduced into our life. Uh, The distance between expectation and reality uh, is often the space between joy, contentment, and disillusionment. And I wonder what your expectations have been for the life of Christian faith. And has that expectation, has the reality fallen short of that expectation? You see, in large part, this is what the prophet Malachi is actually all about. How does the Old Testament end? How does the most famous body of ancient literature and the history of humanity come to a close? It closes with cognitive dissonance with a reality that is a million miles from expectation. Uh, Malachi was a prophet who gave his message around the year 400 BC. This was around 100 years after the men and women of the nation of Judah had returned from exile in Babylon. It was around 100 years after the temple in Jerusalem had been built at the urging of Haggai and Zechariah. And the expectation was... Once we return from exile and rebuild our temple, God will bless our nation and we will be a prosperous and powerful and we're going to change the world. The reality, as it turned out, was here. Well, probably here. Uh, In 400 BC, Judah was a nation that was riddled with corruption and injustice. And this final prophecy from Malachi is actually a collection of six disputes. And you may have picked it up in the readings we had. Uh, The people of Judah have disputes with their God. And in return, Malachi says, God actually has with them. As for the people of Judah, here are the issues they bring before God. Where is the evidence that you actually love us? Chapter 1. You've neglected us. Where is your justice? Chapter 2. And it's pointless following you, God, because evil people win. Chapter 3. I wonder, have you ever fired any of those accusations at God in your lived experience? Where is the evidence that you actually love me? You've neglected me. Where's your justice? It's pointless following you, God, because those people who don't seem to have a better life. Uh, I know that we have a range of different faith journeys in our church today. I love that. Some of us have only just started on the journey of Christian faith. Some have been on it for a very long time. Uh, Some have started and stopped and picked it up again. Wherever you find yourself on this journey, it may well be a season where you are experiencing a cognitive dissonance. Uh, Perhaps for some... Um, And this won't be all our stories, but some of you, maybe you remember being 19 
not too long ago and uh, fired up for Jesus. Uh, you remember perhaps being part of a church group or a uni group that were going to change the world for God's glory. There was an energy, there was a fire, there was a conviction, there was a passion, expectation. The reality is now you're working a 60-hour a week, you are dragging yourself to our midweek community group, and that seems like the peak of your godly obedience And the reality is just so far from those early expectations that you really do feel like the nation of Judah a hundred years after exile. Is this it, you may be asking? Uh, Your story may be different to this as well, but there are many ways in which some of us, perhaps all of us, sort of sit with the nation of Judah, I think, in our dissonance. However, it's worth noting that the six disputes in Malachi, they're not even-handed. What I mean is the prophecy is set up with a pattern where God speaks first and then the people respond with their doubt and their despair. As it turns out, the more you read, the more you start to reveal a troubling picture of the people themselves. I mean, you can sort of see this dynamic as you're reading through Malachi The opening chapter has it. Verse 2, this interaction, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? And then verse 6 of chapter 1, a son honors his father, a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? If, If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering that to the governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. You know, as we peek behind the curtain of these disputes in Malachi, we see that whilst the people of Judah think that they have God in the dock, why don't you love us? Why don't you bless us? They themselves carry a whole raft of secrets that are slowly revealed as we go through this prophecy. Um, As we've already read, they've turned the sacrifice for sin given at the temple into kind of an afterthought where they dump the runt of the litter. And Malachi suggests, well, that symbolizes just a complete rejection of God and his word. And then as we read on, there are three other things Malachi raises with them. Three other secrets he kind of brings into the light. Firstly, in chapter 2, we read that the priests are corrupt and they're leading people away from God's word. So verse 7, he says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching you have caused people to stumble. And secondly, we read in chapter 2, the the men in Judah have had this dark habit of cheating on their wives and abusing their marriage relationships. It has now become commonplace to not value and fight for the covenant of marriage. And so Malachi says in verse 13, another thing you do, he says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears 
You weep and wail because he no longer looks on you with favor on your offerings, accepts them with pleasure. And you ask, why? Well, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And thirdly, Malachi reveals the drifting of Judah's moral compass. Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And again, they're like, how have we wearied the Lord? By saying, all who do evil are actually good in the eyes of the Lord. And he's pleased with them. You know, the final book of the Old Testament, it really does present an incredibly challenging perspective. Um, Because on one level, you have the people blaming God for all their woes. You said you'd love us, you said you'd bless us, but you haven't. But then the curtain kind of gets drawn back, and you see behind all the complaining of the people, they themselves have actually given up on taking God seriously. They go along with the religious motions, but it has no impact on their daily life. And indeed, when the prophet does challenge them, they recoil and act shocked. They have stopped being open to God's word challenging their life. Um, during the week, I read a text from the, um, the pastor and author, Timothy Keller, in his book, Reason for God. And we've got a couple of copies of it on the back table. And if it intrigues you, take one and read it. Uh, in this book, he, he gave this reflection. He said, to stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. But does that belief make sense? If you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? For in any truly personal relationship, the other person has to be able to contradict you. For the people of Judah, it seems as though they wanted God to be a cosmic power that just justified any action they wanted to do. To have a relationship with God was not to be inspired and challenged and changed, but rather just to be affirmed in whatever lifestyle they decided they wanted. And I wonder whether you've ever found yourself in this position, in your own faith journey, because it's not a difficult place to drift into. A thought or belief you're holding might be challenged by what you read in the Bible itself from Jesus. And you don't like it because your expectation of the Christian life was that you would be happy and do what you want and be comforted by knowing that God loves you and has a future for you. But now you're seeing that God actually wants to renovate your whole life your whole perspective on things, your, your mind and your heart and your passions, your whole understanding of what is right and wrong. And that really is confronting. Uh, the author and philosopher C.S. Lewis, speaking on his faith journey, reflected with these words. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable... I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Part of the journey of following Jesus is 
allowing him to shape us, to mould our thinking and to shape our desires. And, and that is something that happens over a lifetime. It's an incredibly long journey. And I guess that's why God gifts us with community, a community which he commands to actually love and encourage each other, to get alongside each other, to speak words into each other's lives, to build each other up, to rebuke each other when we're drifting. God gives us each other for this lifelong journey. So what happens in the rest of Malachi? Well, God does what he always seems to do. Through his prophet, he shares openly his plans for change. In chapter 3, this is what I'll do, God declares. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Can you see how the Bible narrative just dovetails? The final Old Testament text has a promise from God that he will send a messenger who will then prepare the way for the Lord who will come to us. How does the New Testament begin? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. But of course, it's only November 25th. So we'll get to the rest of that narrative next month. Malachi promises that God will come to us. And this is good news. But it's also confronting. For the prophet says in chapter 3, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Then the Lord will have men and women who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So how do we make sense of an ancient message like this? I want to suggest one way forward is actually found in our reading from the New Testament book of Romans that we had today. Here, or you can read along, these words written by the Apostle Paul 400 years after Malachi's prophecy. He writes this, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice chapter 12 begins in view of God's mercy. Now this is a reference to the refiner's fire or the launderer's soap of Malachi. God has found a way to purify us from our sin, from our mistakes. He has found a way to cleanse us from our shame. 
And it's all through the work of his son, Jesus. The Christian message is not one that says, you must clean yourself up for God. No, that's some other religion. The Christian message is one that says, God has washed you clean because he dealt with your sin in Jesus' death on the cross. And so not a single one of us here earns God's mercy. We receive God's mercy through repentance and faith. What does the Apostle Paul write next? He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, therefore, as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God doesn't want us to give, to sacrifice a particular item uh, or, or do something else, light a candle or do some monthly act of contrition. According to the Bible, God wants your daily life to be shaped and led by him. Um, It's very unspiritual. But this is true faith according to the scriptures. This is how we worship God. This is our joyful sacrifice. And what does this involve? Genuine transformation. A change in our sense of self. A change in our view of this world. A change in our view of others. Through reading and being changed by God's word. And so Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, just like Bronte prayed for us this afternoon, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think in the Christian journey, there will always be um, seasons of cognitive dissonance. There will always be moments when what we expected and what actually happens holds an unsettling distance for us. More often than not, the garden bed in which this experience grows is is actually one of ignorance of God's promises and his plans, both in our lives and perhaps in our world. This was certainly the nation of Judah's experience they thought that just being back in Jerusalem and building this temple meant that God owed them everything they desired. But God, the creator and sustainer of all things, didn't owe them anything. He generously gave them his word, which would lead them into a life of love. He generously gave them his mercy to allow them to come to him in humble repentance. But as it turned out, they were the ones not interested in him. And I guess that's why we must be on our guard against faith teachers who offer easy fixes or immediate solutions or instant happiness. Um, They think they are inspiring us, but often they are killing us with false expectations As the late Eugene Peterson wrote, our faith is a long obedience in the same direction. The more I've lived uh, my Christian life, the more I've come to see that where God has fallen short of my expectations, it has often been my expectations that needed addressing, not God himself. 
And that is a humbling experience. And yet, if we can move through that experience, we come out the other side knowing God better. You see, I know God does love me. I know that now. And he loves you too, wherever you find yourself today. And through the work of his son Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, he is growing you and I up into something beautiful. And it is not by removing you from the mess. It's by being present with you through the mess. It is by God's sovereign hand and patience and gentleness to actually use the mess for our own transformation. He has an image of you, one that is loving and patient, kind, one that has learned self-control, one that has grown in gentleness. And God will use all things to bring that vision about in your life. I guess our role in Christian faith is to trust in God's goodness, even in the mess. And uh, certainly, that's what our goal here is at Church Hill, is that to trust in God in whatever season we find ourselves and to encourage each other. Can't do it by ourselves. And so I'm going to pray for us now and just that ask that God will, um, I guess, attune you to his goodness, whatever that means for you this day. Um, and so let me pray for us. Um, our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, for some of us this afternoon, uh, we're finding life difficult in this particular season for a whole range of reasons, but for some of us, Lord, the expectation of what it was to follow you and our reality of it seems so different. And Lord, I pray especially for those of us today in this space that your spirit may be at work to help us to understand what you have promised us and to help us see your hand at work even in the mess. Lord, help us not to turn away from your word but indeed to turn towards it both as individuals and as a church family. Uh, lead our community groups to be places where we love reading your word and exploring what that means for each one of us. Lead us in our individual conversations that we may have the courage to pray for each other. And Lord, we pray that you may give us, in your goodness, just a spirit that trusts in you. You are worthy of our trust and you are indeed good. And we ask that you lead us to that place of knowing and trusting you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus himself. Amen.